On the first episode of Art Kids, Lisa, Reese, and me, Tracy, talk about the impact of AI art, statistics, and tips on career pivoting, and the controversial holiday ad campaign from high fashion brand Balenciaga. Freedom, freedom over fame. Freedom over cycle stays the same. Um, that's kind of hitting the scene lately and has been kind of a big slash controversial topic. So um, they define a art these days as artificial intelligence art piece refers to any artwork created with the assistance of AI. It can be work created autonomously by AI systems or work that is a collaboration between a human and an AI system. AI is in an area of computer science focused on building machines that simulate human cognition, learning and mimics. AI-generated art can include fully autonomous works where researchers explore whether AI can be creative without human intervention to human, as well as human-to-robot collaboration in real time. By doing so, they try to understand the communication between people and the machines, and artificial intelligence is now part of some paintings, music, poetry, and films. And that is a quote from dailyartnews.com. That's really cool. I want to hear some AI music, to be honest. Yeah, I didn't even think about what how that ends up coming out. I imagine they... Yeah, we could find some clips or something, maybe, yeah, some clips and some videos of some AI art and stuff. Yeah, no, that would definitely be interesting to explore. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll interject some, and then we'll get our reactions or whatever, or not, whatever. I just want to see the stuff. Yeah, Yeah. perfect. Um, So there seems to be two main types of AI art. The first one being text-to-image. So you'll go on, like, a free AI site and say you'll, like, search cowboy riding spaceship, right? And then it'll generate their version of that. And I believe that process is done through, they train these AIs through sampling multiple different images throughout the internet. And I don't like the sphere of um, image examples that are out there. The other one is where you submit one of your own photos to it, and then it turns it into AI art itself. It creates um, its own version kind of based off a style prompt or something along those lines. Um, The thing with that is interesting is that though, you know, everyone kind of feels like AI is um, this new big thing and it's been around for a lot longer than we realize. And it's been more common in terms of Photoshop has had versions of this forever. You know, they've had the filter of you take a photo, you take an image and then you want to turn it into like a mosaic painting or any type of painting filter or drawing your sketch that that's a version of AI. Um, Our cameras use AI um yeah like the iphone is notorious google pixel yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly and they're more like we, within our apps. instead of cameras camera systems instead of cameras say more about that they're they're called like camera systems instead of cameras because it's more about the obviously as you can see nowadays it's it's more than one lens it's like several different lenses sometimes it has like three or four um obviously sometimes just one or two and then also it's about the software that you're layering with all those lenses and what that software is doing to render the images that we think look best so that's the color the lighting the white balance whether the background of something is in focus or out of focus like all that stuff comes into play so that's like sometimes they even like elongate your face 
to like make it yeah, look like better in portrait mode. Yeah. Mm. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. I know. I think we take for granted how much, you know, cameras have shifted over and we think they're just like traditional handheld cameras, whereas apparently the phone ones are set up completely different and how, you know, the lenses are done. Um, the other debate with all that, though, is is it a, the question of is AI art actually art? You know, if it's being computer generated, if you're not doing it by hand, it brings up that question. And that's something that, you know, especially when something new comes out, people are up in arms about it, you know. Um, which where's I personally think human element. Say that again. I said, where's the human element? Like, is that necessary for it to be art? Yes, exactly. And I've always found that when a new form of art comes out, you get the community, especially those that may not be as intensely into the art world. They tend to react pretty strongly to change. Um, I think that it may not meet all our criteria for the most like traditional versions of art. Art is always evolving. You know, um, it brings us to like, um photography when photography first came out there was an uproar about whether or not that was actually art um and then that was accepted over time after that there was color photography color photography was considered to be really not professional at all when um nan golden first came on the scene you know a lot of her stuff was her shooting she was one of the first big color photographers and she would go to parties and shoot um color film and do use direct flash which was also a big no-no for the longest time and then do projections Actually, that, that looks work. so cool sometimes like I, I i like avoid flash but like sometimes when you see who was that um damn it it was a fashion i think it was chanel for a while mark jacobs did those <laughs> mark ads jacobs, yeah, yeah. yeah i think mark lady jacobs, gaga first yeah. came on the scene her yeah. videos i felt like mirrored his look of yeah. his, a lot yeah. of his ads yeah and it would yeah. it would almost look like you're like in someone's like room or like a party and it's just like so candid like you know like yeah mm -hmm. and it was kind of like flash photography it looks so 90s or something exactly. <laughs> and there know? was a time where the idea of presenting that in like a highbrow way would be such a no-no yeah. and then all of a sudden that shifted and even still like i love that look you know it's yeah. not a look for everything but i think it is yeah. it, it is a great look you know yeah. um and so when that first came out and Ann Golden was doing that, you know, that was pretty controversial. And now she's, I mean, one of the biggest historical photographers there I are. Know, oh, I was just going to say, I think that style of art, like, it reminds you of being at a party. I don't know. It, like, yeah. when you look at that stuff, you feel like that's actually where you are. You're, like, in these dark rooms with all of this, like, weird lighting and people are just kind of doing whatever. And, like, I don't know. It feels really... Um, really like on point for creating that atmosphere. Yeah. Um, and then also when you were saying like, what is art? It reminded me of um, Marcel Duchamp. Of course, we'll show you some pictures of Nan Golden and Marcel Duchamp and whatnot, but not just Marcel Duchamp, like uh, descending a staircase or anything like um, when he, what was, what did, do you guys remember what we learned? It was like our mutt, mutt when he had the, um, was it was like a toilet, a urinal? Yeah, the toilet seat, the bidet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Urinal. I'm sorry, the urinal. Yeah, it was I like think. a urinal or Found something. Found art, right? Yeah, and then mm -hmm. he, he just like had it like sitting, I think, in a gallery or something. Yeah. So like, ultimately, I mean, I like that kind of stuff. Same. Um, I just had a friend who said like he went to the MoMA for the first time. I guess he's not from here, and like I think he's from like Ohio or something. I'm not saying that that's bad. I'm just, I know that sounded really flippant the way that I said that. I just, I've been to the MoMA so many times. <laughs> like, it becomes I mean, second nature. Yeah. yeah. It's hard but to imagine. Something like, oh, it, they had like 
chicken wings attached to a rug. That's what kind of art there was. And I was like, that sounds amazing. But like, ultimately, some people are not feeling that. I just feel like um, that even kind of sounds like the the urinal, back to the urinal. That even kind of sounds like artificially created because it looked very, it didn't look like it was handcrafted, a handcrafted urinal. It looked like something that was probably made in a factory. Yeah. Well, I think too, it comes down to being more about the concept, right? Like those are, those are the pivotal, pivotal changes. When Marcel Dusant came on the scene, his type of art was all about the concept behind it, not so much the material itself. Nan Golden, like her work became a little bit, it was a mix. Hers was concept because you, you had seen documentary photography at that point, but you had never seen a version of documentary photography that was about someone's intimate life and their friend group. And that, she was the first, I believe she was the first one to do that, which then became a whole sphere in itself. And that is based off of concept and intimacy and all of that. And I think that's part of what AI is bringing to the table, but not everyone sees that. It's not so much about the piece itself, but how it's used to be created to be like the concept behind how it's used, I think is will eventually lead to the future of new ways of doing things. But Tracy, I feel like I cut you off. You were gonna, what were you going to add? Oh, no, I just looked it up and it was called The Fountain. Oh. oh, yeah, he did call it the fountain, which yeah. is mm-hmm. like, so weird. Was it a fountain? No, it was a urinal, right? It was a urinal, yeah. He's doing so much. Anyway, I love Well, there was layers to that, because even in yeah. the naming of it, too, you know? Yeah. But then additionally, I mean, if AI art like that is so controversial, what was Andy Warhol? You know, he his pieces were all... You know, Campbell soup cans, things that weren't even originals. Then he wasn't even hand painting it. He was screen printing it. And then he was doing volumes of it and he was having other people print it for him. So where where's the line there? And of course, when that first came out, that was super controversial. But now, I mean, it's accepted. And what is less commonly known is a lot of major artists out there um, have a studio of studio assistants that make their art for them. They just come up with a concept and then they have their assistants either it's sculpture and they assemble these massive sculptures for them or it's different types of paintings that they they know what they want the end result to look and they do it for them. So, you know, where's the line? Because mostly they have these giant careers off of a concept, you know? And I think that once when something first comes out into the general public, there is this reaction of comparing it against what we know not what it can be used for and the shift around concept. And I think it'll become a tool that people start to figure out how they can use it to not necessarily to get what they want because they think it's always going to be random and, and a surprise, but like to carry their message in a different way. And again, like the, the concept behind it and the fact that we are talking about it now and people have such strong feelings about it. I feel like, it for sure is art, right? Because isn't the purpose of art to make you feel and react? Exactly. And to change perspectives. I mean, I'm also interested in like someone being like almost like a, um, like a pioneer for this space. Like, I mean, because I don't have a huge problem with it. So that's why I don't really care which way it goes. But like, it's almost like I'd like to see like a magazine really show us what it's like to have like AI not like take the place of designers, but sort of, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like an, like an artificially, uh, an artificial intelligence generated an AI generated cover AI generated editorial pages. Obviously maybe the copy is somewhat, somewhat like written by like copywriters, editors, journalists, et cetera. But what is it to artificially source artificially crowdsource 
photos are artificially put together like a spread? Like, can you tell it like, hey, choose these photos or make this art? And then how would it look? Kind of, I guess that's kind of what happened with uh, typography back in the, what was it, the 80s and the 90s? Uh, yeah, switching from like hard type. Yeah. Lito and all these people like doing special stuff and yeah okay yeah I mean the whole you guys would know better than anyone but the whole world of graphic design you know was once all done by hand all cut or whatever that process was and then it switched over to computer but to add to the point you were saying this about um because you had said well maybe not copy well actually you know one of the other ways AI has been used is there which is controversial and they're gonna have to it's problematic right now is that they're finding it could be used to write papers. So students oh, are like using chat, it to chat GPT, chat GPT. Yeah. That's, chat that's what it was. Yeah. Chat GPT. Yeah. 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 I mean, that'd be so interesting. So even the articles yeah. can be done, you know, even the copy can be used. Yeah. If it can like match the way, you know, like the way that people speak, I like, I think it's beautiful. I mean, I think some graphic designers are a little bit of copywriters sometimes or they have like a knack And I think that when you understand the cadence of a language, not only do you speak it and it sounds like a song, but like also you, you sort of prioritize your words that way. Sometimes like you use certain word selection. If it could do that, then yeah, it's going to be unstoppable. Like who knows? Like if it could write poems and write songs and beautiful prose, like we're done. I mean, not that Absolutely. It's bad, and I am most of every way I've heard it being able to be used so far. That's the thing I'm most interested in is I would be super interested to see it do a magazine cover, do a magazine thread um, to sample from, you know, just the sphere of everything that's going on in society and pull little pieces here and come up with like this, you know, groundbreaking, you know, media. Yeah, um, even if it's like, even if it's like you feed it, like, um, let's say, um, Balmain, Balmain's doing a spread in Vogue. And instead of like hiring the models to go to the set, maybe they shoot the models separately or maybe the models are put inside a room and the camera just takes a picture on its own, like artificially intelligent, like a robotic thing. And then Mm -hmm. they somehow like tell the computer, like put these clothes that we did not even put on the model on the model possible you know what i'm saying like yeah there's e-commerce sites that use that technology already like the clueless closet yeah you can choose the models it will put the clothes on the models um and there's my my company to do that at one point yeah and think of like even more basic sites um like place it for instance where it has products and even video now that you can upload graphics to and it will place it and adjust it and fit it to whatever the um you know the The model or the figure that that because like if i'm not mistaken i mean there's probably a few out there right now but there's this one company that i was looking at because i was serious about getting my former company and i'm not gonna say their name to try to do it and she thought it was silly. Uh, and it was called Z-Kit. Z- yeah, I remember I looking at that one. With yeah, you. okay, cool. And so, yeah, they're, like, based in, like, Israel or something. And essentially, like, I think Walmart has a deal with them now. Like, it's major. And basically, you know, like, us, like, being customers on a website, we could choose our own model. We could have our face on it. We could choose our own size and dimensions. And it's going to adjust the outfits to that. So it's, like... And and it and it could even like pose the models differently. This is how models pose. So it could even pose the models differently and still have like the clothes like, you know, stretch or do whatever it do. 
So it's like, imagine that like AI could just take over the whole photo shoot. It could take over the magazine. If it could write the copy, if it could write the headlines, if it could write the cover, like it's going to be insane. Like, you know, here's a question. Okay. I have two thoughts. First of all, if that were the case and you were to go forward with a project like that, would you want to tell people? These are free ideas. These are free ideas for someone to do. (laughs) (laughs) But Um, But I think what Trace is getting at is that that would replace a lot of our jobs. Like, would you you want to keep that under wraps? Yeah, so for two reasons. One, because, like, yeah, you're cutting out all these people, but maybe not because maybe there is still a team in house that's like managing and reviewing, but they're advising editors. Yeah. You always in a different way. Um, so we don't have a repeat of the Balenciaga. Maybe that's nobody's to blame. Um, (laughs) I did it. God, we're going to sue the computers. (laughs) That sounds like that. But really like, so from the consumer perspective, right? Like if I were to receive, a magazine that was all done from AI systems would I want to know that? And if I knew that, would I be more likely or less likely to purchase the magazine or item? Um, because I guess, depending on how you feel about things, I think the curiosity would get to people at first and they would really be like, I need to see what this is all about and the quality of work that this is creating. But then I wonder if on the other end of it, people would be like, why do I want that? I well, I think yeah. okay, it'd be interesting it. to yeah. release it without telling anyone, get people's reactions, do some time campaign that in a way it gets released in a big way that you get people to interact with it. So you make sure you get a lot of people discussing it and hopefully creating like a, oh my God, this new magazine is amazing or this campaign's amazing, blah, blah, blah. And then you announce them, by the way, that's AI. Hilarious. Okay, I think that that's great that you want to do it that way. I feel like being open and honest with people when you can, like, what are you going to be outraged about? Okay, actually, they're probably like, you're taking jobs away from people, but whatever. I kind of say There's that... There's so much outrage. I know, there would be a lot of outrage. Already, already about I, AI. I do, like, I do like where you're coming from, though. I just feel like if you continue to have content in it where it's like you have particular models... You have particular interviews with people because they could still be artificially intelligent, generated, AI generated questions and stuff. Yeah, like that. and there's you know, the like, GPT chat, which literally somebody has to interact with it to yeah. create a conversation. Yeah. So imagine yeah. putting somebody up against that instead of a live interviewer. Like, what would that conversation look like? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Crazy. That's so interesting, actually. And it's not even about like hiding anything from anyone. I say, don't tell them at first make a buzz of it because it makes something that much more sensational when you surprise them like that, when you get them thinking differently. It's an art statement in itself to do it by that presentation is my thought. You know, like you create it as its own form of art on many layers. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. I want this to happen. I hope somebody does this. (laughs) <laughs> I'm like telling I my have, mom, like, I also I have like, another setting up someone's future career right now. Right? Seriously. Um, and we okay, still need editors so, for that. If we go okay, so thinking of the AI systems as a medium and the developers as the artists who are using a medium to create mm. and produce. So how right. does that look like and how does that feel to even talk about something like that like i think developers are artists in their own right because they're creating they're you know building these systems in which we engage in and utilize um 
so I wonder how that narrative is also going to form of like, can people then take responsibility for the art that the AI systems are producing because they're the ones that built the AI system? I think that's fine. I mean, there's like yeah. 10 people that write Beyonce's music. I'm not saying anything bad about Beyonce. I'm saying it's a reality that a lot of pop artists have like three to 10 yes. people writing a song. Britney mm-hmm. Spears even, you know, like yeah. writing and like getting together the vocal engineering for one track. It's like really crazy. So yeah, they all deserve awards. They could share the the accolades. Yeah. And not to mention like creating, and I, I'm not sure if I'm, phrasing this correctly, but I guess it just does go, go goes back to concept when art and how art is presented and how we receive that art is happens in a very new way that almost creates this whole new world that is like, we are, the art is changing, right? And whoever is doing that, I think plays a pivotal role. It makes me think of, I don't know if you remember, but back when webcam started being a thing and you had people who started just, um, recording themselves all the time. And I forget the name of her, but she was an artist that recorded herself 24 seven. She was like the first official cam girl. She gave birth on screen. She had sex on screen. She like, I think she was like, there was one noted moment where she like stopped in the middle of sex to order a pizza or something. Um, But this was um, a whole thing back in the day. And then it became a question around how this is its own form of art, you know, watching someone in their habitat and being able to view it from home. The the observer is just as much part of the art project as the artist itself. But then I wish I could remember the name of it, but there was a project done and I don't know who had started it, but in New York City around that time, it wasn't wasn't Barbara anything, right? No, no, no. Um, It was someone built like this, underground structure basically and they um invited a bunch of artists to come and they were gonna live in these different rooms under there they'd have food and all this other stuff and they'd be recorded 24 7 in there it was like kind of creating this like artist community with no certain rules or no rules and um this is all being live uh live streamed i believe um and it descended into chaos basically i watched a documentary on this like couple of years ago and it was super interesting um and that was an art project in and of itself like that was considered an art piece but it was an art piece was on it, multiple levels was you know the observer college? what do you say i said was it called college right <laughs> it kind of was like that picture like a bunch of new york city 20 year olds like yeah. crazy but yeah, yeah we have I mean, to find if you if you remember the name i'll like look up some videos some pictures i'll search for it after this yeah yeah, yeah that sounds fabulous yeah, so, I mean, I'm interested in AI art. I don't think it's that scary. I mean, I understand how people feel like it's taboo. It's like how people feel about the robots taking our jobs. But it's like, I don't know, there's some things that maybe you don't want to do. There's some things that you might kind of rather a robot do. Maybe so, you'd rather, I don't know. I know the one of the first major controversies with it thus far is there was some type of art show Um a bunch of people submitted, someone submitted, the person who won, or the thing that won was an AI piece. And after people found out about that, there was all this outrage. Um, and that's kind of what has started this conversation around, is AI um, legitimate? What are the parameters around it? And then additionally, um, that article Tracy had sent us the other day about um, someone being kicked out of a Reddit group because they thought his work was AI art, but it was actually, he was even able to prove it through like his Photoshop files and the layers and stuff. He just, his 
work looked like AI art and it resembled it. And he used like an AI piece as like reference, but he replicated it through Photoshop and doing all the various intense techniques. And then the person on Reddit's response to it was, well, even if you really did do this, um, no, something effectively, no one's going to like the work because it resembles AI too much. And I'm sorry, this is just how the world works or so, something really flippant and just <laughs> something I really don't agree with at all. Um, but this, those are the types of reactions you have in the beginning. It reminded me of when I had my art critique or my thesis show up and I did it with, um, you know, the, the Holga camera and, um, the color film. And it was before we started having, um, cell phone cameras and photos and, or we were just starting to, and they made a reference to my work looking like it just came off a cell phone, but then, you know, give another five, six, 10 years down the road, we would be, cell phone photos would become like a major part of the medium. Um, so I think that's that initial reaction, like as if it's like below us, you know, right now AR is going to like be looked at as if it's below us and not highbrow enough and give it how, as it begins to evolve, the, the way we picture it is going to completely change down the road. It's only going to take one influential person to pick it up and then it'll blow up. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. It's like we need a pioneer or something. Exactly. I mean, I really think freaking like Barbara Kruger, Jenny Holzer are one of those people need to touch AI art and go nuts with it. Like, I would love to see what they do about with it, you know? Yeah. That would be cool, especially if she could feed it like magazines that she like wants it to replicate. Because she does collage art anyway. So maybe it's like... AI collage or something. And Jenny Holzer did like a, a various forms of like conceptual, a mix of digital art. And then, um, I mean, Jenny Holzer used a bunch of different mediums, but she often used like, like electronic text on like billboards and things like that, you know, because um, her, her work is prominently about the concept and the message, you know, and then choosing the right like medium for that message. But also changing the way we think about the message and and, and that's that. even an interesting uh barbara kruger she's kind of like a copywriter you know what i mean like mm-hmm. oh, it's like some artists are into copy you know so. well, that, with that one guy that uses um balloon letters and he like puts them up outside with like messages oh yeah 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 exactly. you know talking about, about who? Uh, like that sounds so cute like actually like you see it all over Instagram. He's got like an Instagram page and he'll be up against like a colored brick wall and it'll say like, I don't know, be happy today or stop using, you know, too much plastic. I don't know. I can't think of like a phrase, but um, ring any, doesn't ring any bells. No, but he should have one that's like smoke weed every day. It's Yeah. Some of his stuff is, is it like, is it like Mylar balloons? The Mylar balloons? Uh, they are. Yeah. Yeah. And then they're perfect. not. Yeah, they're like the gold and whatever, like iridescent letter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would love to see an iridescent balloon. I haven't seen that. That sounds like something you need to make, Trace. Yeah, it just brings up the concern, which like AI AI is not just an art. AI is in everything. We use it constantly already, but there's so many applications for it. And there is the concern around, you know, things like deep fakes. I mean, I keep seeing more and more videos pop up where it's showing um, first there's like just through the use of um, video and things and green screen. Um, there's I was watching this video this other day of this uh, man. He's talking and then all of a sudden you see Morgan Freeman next to him talking on a different screen. And it's basically how he's been like CGI or whatever into looking and sounding exactly like Morgan Freeman, which lends itself to being like when we're watching interviews and videos or snippets, are we seeing reality or are we not? And it also brings us to the question of, well, is reality like, you know, makes us question reality and our concepts of it. 
But then additionally, I was watching one the other day too of um, same thing, someone being interviewed, a video of someone, and then um, they show you that they actually have this like rubber mask, but you would never in a million fucking years would have guessed they had a rubber mask on. Like um, I believe it was a white woman underneath but when you saw her at first, you thought she was an Afri- African-American woman. And then she starts okay. peeling back the rubber mask and the hairline. And it's actually like a white woman under it. That like, it's right. so That's it right. really brings right. the question on, like, you know, just various, um, you know, deception that can be done. How do we know it's real? What are the checks and balances around that? How could that be, you know, used against us? Um, political propaganda, things like that you know, it brings up those concerns. And I mean, I'm sure I'm not even scratching the surface of the potential negative uses for all this stuff. Transracialism. It was Rachel Dolezal. It was definitely Rachel Dolezal. Oh, her? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> With the... Oh, no, she wasn't under there, but it would be... It would be comparable. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so that's groovy. Any last thoughts before we get cut off? Um... Are you an advocate for AI? Art? Are you not? I am curious. I am. Yeah. I want to see what happens. Go for it. I want to see what happens with AI art. What about you, Trace? Same. Why not? Um, I was just starting to say, you know, everyone's always saying there's nothing new left under the sun to do. Everything has been done and redone. And so, you know, bring, bring out some new forms of art, no new ways of approaching things and thinking, you know, that way we have some fresh blood and from fresh work out there and new ways of approaching things. I agree. And maybe it'll also inspire people to, do other types of art you know like i feel like we we can only imagine what we kind of already know like it's hard to go beyond but i think it's yeah. it's not until you start heading in that direction that other things you know become possible like you're saying um additionally what i was going to say was um um, even if people think AI art isn't really art, I mean, you're never going to stop people from being painters. You're never going to stop people from drawing or using photography. So it's, it's not like it's ruining the careers of anyone. It's just opening up a new field of art. When photography came on the scene, it didn't ruin other artists' lives, you know? Um, and because we have things like the internet and social media and stuff like that, there's endless ways this stuff could be used these days. No one's losing a job, like the more it becomes in the hands of the community, the better. And, you know, the more we take away the whole elitism of the art world and get, you know, like just the gatekeeping of galleries and, you know, who becomes famous and how you reach audiences, the better, you know, I think the paradigm always needs to change. I actually and- saw an ad the other day for AI logo generation. And it was a, an example of like a nail salon and they were like, that's showing their building and their, um, sign outside and it was like ai designed my logo you know and i was like wait did it look good did it look good yeah it wasn't bad (laughs) it wasn't bad (laughs) um actually like i I don't think it's complete one-to-one but i was also thinking like so like on lisa's note about there's always gonna be painters this that and the third like there's always gonna be chefs i think even if we have like uh, cooking robots. Vending machines. Yeah, Yeah. vending machines. (laughs) Cooking robots or whatever. Big Mac didn't kill restaurant life. Yeah, I feel like it's like um, graphic design didn't kill some of the fine arts that we still have to like take in school. Like you still have to, you still should, if you're not, learn those things so that you could be better at your craft because 
I think even as we have AI art become a thing, if it becomes a thing, you're still going to need editors, you're still going to need directors, and you still need to kind of understand art to like some sort of like uh, essential degree, you know, like in an intrinsic way, you know, like yeah, and push an agenda, right? Like be the the brains behind it. Yeah, be the brains behind it instead of just being like, oh, well, I can't do this you know how far art can go because you are an artist. So you can create it if it's not happening or you could put it into the system or you even just know what to ask it. Like for instance, we know art. So we say, I want a bokeh effect. People who don't know art don't know what a bokeh effect is because they don't even know what the lens is doing. They're like- You know what? This makes me think of, which I don't know if we are like the last generation that had to suffer through this, but going to the library and learning how to search on the library computers. Do you remember? Oh, with like microfiche and stuff like that? I mean, like library research. Library research. Like, right. If you didn't put in the right terms with like a plus between the words or like a. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Like it all meant something different and would give you a different result. So I think like there is a system to be learned. Yeah, I hear you. And a system to be hacked to get the results that you are looking for. That you want. Yeah, it's like it's kind of like uh, research methods in design, but like which that, well, that was a class that we had. But like also it's like the way that you research on Google. Like you have to like put yeah, it's like like, the, well, like what you're talking about, like being at the library, you have to put quotation marks around things or plus signs or minus signs or asterisks, all that stuff. You just have to know the right keywords and you have to know the right syntax of those keywords. Yeah. Yeah. And while Google is in my mind, it basically is AI. Um, it like learns better ways to read how we speak. Right. So even in SEO, when you're like preparing to optimize websites like long tail keywords, you know, like, what does that mean? Well, it's more natural to how we speak as humans. When we're thinking of things like we, when we're trying to find information, we ask a question or like have a a longer search term rather than just like chocolate bar, you know, it's like, what's the best chocolate bar. And then it's going to like populate you with way better results. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. All oh, things. Um, thanks, so, Lisa. That was a good comment. Yeah, that was fantastic, Lisa. I really appreciate yes. it. Um, should we take a little break? Freedom. Freedom. Freedom over fame. Freedom over fame, the cycle stays the same. Freedom, freedom over fame. Freedom, freedom over fame. Freedom over fame, the cycle stays the same. Freedom over cycle stays the same. I'm starving. I found a fruit cup. Damn. It expires in 10 days, so. You found a fruit cup? Did you eat the fruit cup? In five minutes? It was like a little, you know, like a yogurt. Oh, fruit cup. Fruit cup. Fruit cocktail. Fruit cock. That's funny. Fruit cock. <laughs> it's right. like a banana. Okay, I'm going to put this down. All right. We are... Let me We're rolling. Push this. Mm, you can share. We're all set. Is it weird that I took my shawl off? Should I put it back on? This thing, actually, it's very cool, you guys. It's made of recycled um, water bottles. Just kidding. 
see. I'm also wearing a water bottle. Fashion show. Yeah, so it's called Threads for Thought. Threads for Thought. Let's say, call me say the words. Or Threads for Thoughts. Threads for... uh, Probably backwards. Doesn't matter. Anyway, so they do like upcycled stuff. Upcycle is very big. And... uh, so this is my, it's cold because we're trying to conserve energy, but really it's not because this office is first off the furnace and it's really hot. So was it made of plastic bottle or something? Well, it's really groovy. But it's like super, super soft. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I don't know, really. Like I, th- I just like throw it in the wash. It's like, whatever. Mm. like nothing fancy. I do hang hang it to dry but anyways sorry i have some bad things to say about that not that i care because like i would do the same thing and yeah. actually i bet you like a, a lot of my clothes is probably has like polyester things or whatever in it but they say that when we put it in the wash it puts microplastics into the ocean i know i knew that you would know that because like um i remember when i was in college you were like Turn off the water. What about all the ducks? That always goes through my mind when I leave the water. You know what? Chris still does that when he brushes his teeth in the morning and I lay in bed just like cursing him. We need, because I'm kind of too lazy about that. I need either a foot pedal sink, like a, a sink that I can control with my feet, which I'm like super about because I'm like OCD and I don't want to touch it. Or I need to be able to like talk to it. Like turn like, off. Turn on, which is like. They have the hand one. Ones. Yeah. I have to get one. Annoying. Yeah, I have to they get one. Really. Yeah, I have to get some kind of sensory thing. Tracy would murder me because I'm not good about that at all. I'm bad with my refrigerator too. I'm really bad, but it at least I'm conscious about it. I try. I'm gonna get better. I promise. One day. I think because like now that we live here, we have a well, and so I'm always like, I'm like extra cautious not really about the waste of water because if we run water it's just going back into our aquifer whatever but the the cleaning products we use like shampoos soaps everything i'm like extra conscious of things we buy because it's just all going into our water and even like stuff we put on the lawn like i barely will do like any i like don't do any like weed control like no chemicals yeah i hear you i'm I would, just like I'm gonna be drinking that like no i don't yeah, know i agree with you i totally agree with you on that i i would if i did like any kind of agriculture it would have to be like organic to some degree yeah and so actually for christmas got possible. me um a, a like tumbler composter and it at the bottom it has a spigot so it you can drain the liquid and make a compost tea. So that's your fertilizer. Mm. Which is really cool. And I'm like, mm. all right. Anyways. Yeah. Those are becoming really popular. Those composters at home. Um, so yeah. So, Hey, I'm Reese and um, we're talking about career pivoting as a part of um, our economy and career pillar, because I think it's important to artists that they, um, think about their career and their economy and their finances. So we're going to start off with like a little fun fact that's incomplete. Um, on average, they say that people have two to three careers in their lifetime, but I think that's an old fact. And the new fact 
is that it's more like 12 to 16 careers. But I also think that that even though that sounds super crazy, 12 to 16 careers for like one person in a lifetime, that is a lifetime though. And I can almost imagine that, but maybe that's more like 12 to 16 different types of jobs. And I think we'll get into what career pivoting actually is. So maybe that is accurate given the definition of what a career pivot is. Do you know what I mean? Because it's almost like saying like... When I was a kid, I worked at Dairy Queen and now I work at, I don't know, Peter Luger's or something, you know, it's like, it's not completely different, but it's like similar, you know what I mean? Like first I was just like a, an ice cream cashier person. And then like, I became like a server or a cook, but you're still so in the response space. Within the, so different types of jobs and responsibilities within the same uh, industry. Yeah, within the same realm to some degree. Yeah, so like we could space. So like we could say like we've been interns, we've been junior designers, we've been senior designers, we've been whatever. Like they're all slightly pivoting from where you are, but it's not like a full. I would say yes, but also maybe no because I feel like an actual career. That's almost like. Um, just well, promotion. That's, that's like promotion. that's like yeah, that's yeah. like promotion. I feel like going from being a senior designer to being a manager is a career pivot. And yeah. I would like to be a manager. Can I add something? Sure, we may yeah. have to cut in. I don't know if we want to keep this care. in, but um, so originally the thought with that idea was like, at least in reference to the podcast I had listened to called second life, I believe it's the idea of like changing from one career to a totally different one. And that's what they meant by pivots in terms of like, you know, we've been working in this area for so long. It doesn't do it for me anymore. This new thing completely. And I have no experience in it and no background. How do I pivot into this whole other? Well, I, I touched like on that too, because I looked up what career pivoting is and that's the definition that they gave me. Mm-hmm. So like, so basically I'll break it down. And I like this, the way that this conversation is going. So I don't care. So basically okay. like what is career pivoting? Uh, focusing on aspects or your skills that um, are part of your current job that are working for you while purposefully going in a new or related direction. So something that you've already got going on, but you can sort of repurpose it into something else that you want to do. Like, for instance, I'm going to be an industrial designer. I get to this later, but I want to be an industrial designer. So my design skills that I already have that I went to school for, et cetera, pretty sure it's almost like using those credits at school towards something else. You know what I mean? So you don't have to start from scratch completely. But anyway, therefore, pivoting isn't exactly just starting from scratch, but building upon previous skills and successes in your space. So, for example, maybe you used to be a cook, but now you want to focus on baking or you used to be a surgeon and now you want to be a dentist. Not a complete shift, but a redirection, a little pivot, you know, like a little pivot. So what if you want, like we were just talking, what if you want to start all over? Well, you can take on the new frontier of your near future career as a hobby, take related courses, uh, whether it be free or online or in person, like at a university, or uh, be humble enough to take on an entry level position and roles to get your feet wet um, and build on your new career's resume as you work your way up by taking on um, like similar roles while while working with staffing agencies to help you get placement into roles that you're looking for. So 
Um, I would say you like, let's say that you, like you were just saying, you want to start off in a completely different direction. Of course, I mean, it really depends on what you're doing here. And I think what we saw during the pandemic is a lot of people pivoting to having like their own business or like being freelancers or something. Yeah. I think Uh, there was like this huge DIY movement and then that turned into like entrepreneurship. And that's kind of like the era that we're in right now. But I think if you're looking for a job where it's like you have to basically be employed by somebody else, nine times out of 10, you're going to have to take an entry level position, meaning like ground level, like the lowest rank, and then you could work your way up. And for everybody in every company, it might be different, whatever that trajectory is, as far as like how long it'll take for you to be where you want to be. Um, But like, let's say that you wanted to do something that you haven't done before. I would say that it's best then to get the training on it and try to get those similar roles and then work with other people to help place you like a staffing agency in a job that you actually want because they know those people because they could speak for you where you might find it awkward to speak for yourself and say, Hey, I'm not really good at this. They already had that conversation with the employer to say like, Hey, this person is new to this space. This is what they used to do. They want to do this now. Like, do you know what I mean? They're doing all that liaising for you. And I think that would help. You could work with more than one staffing agency. You could work with several staffing agencies all at once. I used to do that. I still do that. Um, and I think everybody should do that. So if you have that kind of help, it makes it a little bit easier. Yeah. How do you guys feel about that? I feel like I'm living it. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I, I feel like I'm living that too. Cause I kind of want to pivot right now, which I'm about to get into. So um, me, the pandemic and everyone pivoting. So I had to pivot because I was out of a full-time job for a while and was having difficulty finding a new employer that would take me on. But I wanted to pivot anyway into doing something related to graphic design, that being industrial or product design, but um, didn't have too much experience in in any of that apart from working on um, digital products like mobile apps and websites. I ended up working for a company. I, I don't know if I should say name names or whatever, but a popular home improvement chain um, as a kitchen and bath designer which I honestly enjoyed, but the pay wasn't all that great, which was all right for then because, you know, my life was, my life was, I didn't have a car, let's just say. Um, Your cost <laughs> of living was Yeah, my, my cost of living was a little bit more bearable. But uh, yeah, once I got a car, it just wasn't really happening, was not hitting right. So anyway, there was a little hands-on training at that job, you know, as a kitchen and bath designer. And I had to do more than design. I also had to be a store associate, which had its own pain points. I was grateful to have this position, but it made me long for being a regular designer again. And I eventually got a role, this all during COVID, working uh, remotely as a designer, a graphic designer. As I said, sayonara to them to focus on my full-time role as a designer. So I started just doing graphic design again, even though I wanted to pivot. Uh, Yet during the pandemic, a lot of people pivoted out of necessity and also found that quality of life over work, 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 work seemed more important than ever before. And it slowly ate away at me. And 
as my new role increasingly became more difficult uh, to deal with, I wanted to be like sayonara to that again. So I said sayonara to that. And here I are, um, either trying to pivot into a new role or more of a leadership or management position since the pay is better, um, or continue on as a designer until I go back to school and get an MBA or something with a focus on design management and industrial design, because that's really where I want to be. Um, and then I can more confidently go back into the career world while being employed, while being employed, seeking an industrial design job. That's the right fit for me. So that's like the key point. Like you need to like not necessarily do the jump before you have everything in place. Otherwise you will be like, where's my parachute? Where's my parachute? You know, like before you hit the ground and it's a lot. Um, um, yeah, I think the pandemic brought a lot of this light for a lot of people, right? You know, they found themselves either unemployed all of a sudden, um, if they were already self-employed and the pandemic hit and they couldn't do the jobs they normally did, they had to rethink what that looked like to be who they were and do what they do and make money off of that. Um, if they were still working during that time, how they worked looked totally different, you know, whether it be from home or just how they help their clients, any of those things, right? So that has completely changed the way we've approached so many things. Then, of course, the mental health issues came into play. People slowed down. It really changed the way we framed a lot of things. And through that, through like this forced innovation, I think it had a lot of people questioning what they wanted to do and trying out different things and some realizing it's easier than they thought. Um, maybe what they were doing before doesn't fulfill them any, anymore and really looking at the ways to make those transitions. And I think that's something a lot of people relate to these days, you know? Um, and I think the key is to be able to take skills and shift with them um, or just know what your other interests are and know that that's like your second part of life. You know, like you're just where we wear a different hat for many things in a lifetime, like having the desire and ability to switch over to those things. I mean, I also feel like during the pandemic, like also like there were a lot of things going on. And did you think about like your own, not mortality in like a morbid way, but like your own mortality, like especially not to be morbid again or bring up something that is really real for some people. But um, around February, not too long after I decided to say sayonara to my job, uh, the war started in Ukraine and it was just kind of like, what is going on? So we're in a pandemic. There's literally a war happening. Kind of no one's talking about it, but it's on the news all the time. It's just like, what are we doing? Like, you know, and it just made me feel like I just want to do what I feel like I should be doing or like oh, what I want to do, because it's almost like, well, what am I living for? Number one. But also, like, the people that are in charge, do they, like, know, like, what's going, like, do they care about what's going on? Do they have any control, sense of urgency about how we are all, like, living on this earth together? Like, do you know what I mean? And it's it's almost yeah. like we're waiting for them to make the right moves when we should be the ones making the right moves. I think, um, yeah, I totally agree. I think it's like this, we are a smaller world than we have ever been because we are so connected yet it's the disconnect seems to be getting bigger and it's very strange it's yeah it's a very strange place to be and i think um i do think the pandemic brought a lot of people well made a lot of people slow down right so like things were put on hold there were shutdowns people were working from home spending more times with 
with their family, which they have probably never had the chance to do. Their kids weren't at school. They were at home. Like while all of that was very inconvenient, I think it allowed people to like audit what was happening in their life, what they were making a priority, but like what really should have been the priority and how to manage it. Right. So for me, um, our company was always like working in office. So this was the first time that as a team, we worked remotely, like every once in a while we'd work with contractors remotely, whatever. Um, but the full team went remote for almost a year and we had our best year ever. So all of the like misconceptions of like not being able to manage your team because they're like not here present with me, just like flew out the window because we showed like, if that's not true, right? Like, look at us, we are happier. We're probably getting more sleep. We're cutting down on our commute time. Like all of those things added up and I, and we were like super efficient as a team working remotely. We were constantly in contact with each other one way or another Um, but I think like that sort of work life balance was now becoming really apparent and also companies and the fact that like, how much money can we save in overhead if we don't have to pay rent for office spaces? Right. So there's like this change in perspective of like what it means to have a workplace. Do we need a work? Place. Do our clients really need to come and interface with us? Do they want to travel to come and see us? You know, we always used to have in-person meetings and it was like, like a full day sort of thing. Like you lost so much time having clients come into the office because you were preparing the office, you were preparing all the deliverables, you were preparing to present, you were like getting lunch, you were having lunch when they came, like they were there to socialize, but also to have this meeting and then the client having to travel, right? So they lost their whole day as well. Whereas like now we're in the world of Zoom meetings and it's a half an hour meeting is a half an hour meeting. It's not a full day. Um, so it, it really did shift things, but also thinking, just hearing myself talk about the whole commuting thing are freaking CO2 like levels in the world. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. There was like a dramatic job. It's like good for the to do about career yeah. and pivoting, but yeah. anyways. No, I mean, but that's great that it's good for the environment. There's so many things that happen from, from like the pandemic that kind of was great. I mean, a lot of people died. So that's kind of what I meant by the mortality thing. Like a lot of people died, then there was this war, but then we did started to take stock in like what actually matters. And yes, we got hours and hours of our life back from not having to commute anymore. That's all major. So like, then it also, it shows you the quality of life that you can have by having the type of job or the kind of way that your current job is like, be better for you and your quality of life. Because for some people, I would say those people over in San Francisco, um, they already were used to working from home. They were already used to flex hours. That's not really an East Coast thing. Then we got hit with the pandemic. Then it became like a worldwide thing. Um, Because San Francisco, all that kind of Palo Alto tech, Tech Valley stuff, you know, Tech Valley, Silicon Valley. You know what I'm saying? Anyway... So moving on, but you got me. Yeah, but I think it also boosted confidence in people seeing how they could work differently and that they were even more productive 
and could put time aside to learn new things to improve the skills that they needed for work. Like just really led to people being like, well, if I can do this, then I can do anything. And so thinking about like what they actually wanted to do. And kind of not even related to pivoting so much, but uh, just like a really quick note, all that time that people got back, some people were holding more than one job. Obviously, there was quiet quitting, which you heard of, I'm sure, because that was like over sensationalized. But a lot of people were great resigning or, you know, part of the great resignation or whatever. Right. So um, there were people that were holding like two and three, maybe sometimes more than that jobs because they had the free time and they're working from home. They sometimes kept separate computers to do different things. So imagine like you can, you couldn't do that if you have to be in one place, like we're more efficiently ourselves when we're in our own space at home, some of us, you know, or many of us, I guess, like if we could do that, like, that's crazy. Can you imagine juggling three different jobs? I can't. You have. Oh, yeah, you did. Yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I had three different jobs and then the pandemic hit and then I got a hiatus because of the pandemic. But yeah, I can't. can't. You were yeah, the opposite. Yeah. I was like, yes, I will definitely take these several months off from work. On Basic <laughs> that's how I, that's how I felt when they were like, we're going to go to part time. And I was like, yes. And then we went to overtime and I was like, oh, yeah, that's what <laughs> really happened. Yeah. And that's what I think I couldn't stand. My last job, I was basically the sole designer. Sometimes we had freelance designers. Sometimes we had junior designers come on, so to speak. But nothing was like full-time for them. It was like more like part-time for them and like full-time for me. So the bandwidth wasn't there. And then I'm working overtime, you know? It's like, it's easy to work 70-hour weeks. And that's kind of crazy, you know? Um, So don't work 70-hour weeks, guys. Um, Unless you're getting paid and you like it. Um, So who even uses degrees anymore? Who even cares about them? Or ever. Um, so I'm just, <laughs> that's based on some studies. But anyway, so while many graduates to the tune of 83%, according to a 2014 Pew Research study, feel that education helped better prepare them for their job, um, so school is not so bad nor useless, according to a 2013 Washington Post article, only 27% of college graduates have a job related to their major. So again, while 83% of graduates said, oh, school helped me like deal with this career world after, 27% of college college graduates said that they're even doing something with that focus like as a career. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like, it's kind of like, well then why did I focus on that in school? I mean, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have focused on that in school. You took that opportunity almost like a sandbox to understand if you want to do it. You know what I mean? And then maybe you said, I don't really want to do this. But anyway, so it seems like people often stray from their original focus. And I think it's fine. Maybe even natural or ideal. What are your thoughts, guys? I think it's natural. Yeah. I think where for the longest time, oddly enough, you know, people did have one maybe two careers in their lifetime, but that was less common. They stuck to one thing. They stayed with it. Whereas, you know, we're, we evolve or many things, especially these days, it is like more understood and common that you should be changing and growing and allowing yourself to be different. And the idea of staying in one field doesn't really make sense. And, you know, I think as far as degrees and stuff, there are certain jobs, right? You're going to have to have a degree. You're going to be a doctor, obviously, Um, stuff like that. 
But I think you don't need it for a lot of things. And I think that maybe there's another form of what that should look like, maybe certificates or different types of trainings. I mean, you do want to be able to differentiate from those who haven't prepared in any way, shape or form. Um, and not to say, though, some people are brilliant just on their own or learning as they go. And, and there should be a way to quantify that and add that into the work world. Um but I don't think that we need to be going to school and racking up all this debt and then not really being taught how to even get a job afterwards or what that looks like or all the major fucking life skills they need to thrive out there um, and then get out there and struggle, you know, with or, all that debt. Or even you. manage the debt, right? So that's another thing, too. It's like yeah, school doesn't prepare you to manage the debt. Can we touch on that really quickly? Like, um, did I cut you off, Tracy? Because I don't want to. Okay, good. Like, basically, so if you're in school, whoever's watching this or college or listening to this, like, I really think that you should seek out having a really good relationship with your academic advisor. Maybe they can be the be all and end all. But I did really appreciate my um, academic advisor at one point. Um was like different like our academic advisor like was she like one of them like our or were they like our art advisors so to speak they were our our bfa advisors our then there were like academic advisors within another building the deans of the school were technically our advisors i think because i remember having a meeting with them and i thought that that was that one was awkward but with our teachers was better yeah you would like go see the dean of the whatever and you would like that's like they had to sign off on your classwork and make sure you were on track right it your goals for all your prerequisites for your degree i don't remember who that was i know you had to go to the office in the fine arts building yeah i mean i feel like the conversation back then was more like what credits do i have to take to graduate on time kind of thing i'm gonna over i'm gonna overdo my credits like i'm gonna do 18 this semester i'm gonna do 12 or 15 this semester but like i really feel like i don't know i always feel like i had a pretty decent relationship with my guidance counselors in my um say grammar school but schools before college and um i don't know it's almost like i guess i could have had a better relationship with them but ultimately I don't know whose job it is to, I mean, yourself, like whatever, but whose job it is to reach out to these students and be like, this is how you handle your finances. This is what you should, this is what a salary requirement even is. This, this is how you decide what your wants and needs are so you can get by. And this is like the things that you should explore as far as your interests are concerned, if you want them to align with your career, because I kind of feel like, Maybe those things seem commonplace to certain people. Maybe they were raised by certain people, if it is commonplace to you. But I feel like I came more from a family that was like, even though they afforded to allow me to do a little bit of more of what I wanted to do than what I have to do, which is great and I'm grateful for, um, they were still were like, oh, you have to do what you have to do. Like, you know what I mean? They weren't so much like, figure out what you want to do, figure out your passion, they were just like this passion over that passion. Cause that passion, which was fashion design is going to be hell. And like this passion is clearly lucrative. I mean, we're graphic designers and we're complaining about how oh, I don't have the perfect job. Like, you know, but it is kind of rough because now it's a saturated market. But back when we started, you know, I chose painting yeah. over. Yeah. Yeah. Chose, well, I chose design over painting. Yeah. I can imagine you painting. Right. But so you understand where I'm coming from. So 
ultimately I just feel like imagine like having like a better understanding coming out of college of like how to deal with your finances, how to deal with um, just navigating the career world. Um, One of the things that makes me think about is um, so like working for the art nonprofit, we have teen programs, right? So we do like teen drop-in programs and it's mostly like high school kids that come and to like interact with us. and And the point of the programs is for them to, like learn about the craft. Yes. Learn about the material. Yes. But also learn about the studio, how the studio functions, how the artists work within the space to meet the artists that are working in the space. So like adult, like these are professional artists who are using the studios to create products that they sell to live on. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think coming from like fine art, like photography, painting, drawing, like even fashion, it seems like, these are things that we learn about as we're growing up, but we're never told like, what are the jobs we can have if we do follow these passions? And so we just kind of default to things that people, it, that's almost like common, right? So for us, we went into design knowing that like, well, I can actually get a job as a designer and make money. Whereas like, if I'm a painter, what am I going to do? You know, it's like, well, I could have done a lot of things if I knew about them. And so now we're like in this place where I think, yeah, we do need to ask these questions. Like who should have been preparing us a little bit better for like the career paths we could have been put on. And so it makes me really happy when I see programs out there for teens and there's, um, there's a panel that happens in Poughkeepsie every year and it's called thrive and they bring working artists like us into this setting with all of these high school students. And we get to like talk to them about our careers and they get to ask us questions about like how we got to where we got to. What if I want to do this? Like, what would you suggest? And it's almost like a glorified portfolio review, but really it's like life coaching for these kids who want to pursue careers in the arts, but like don't have anybody knowledgeable at home who can even like help put them on these paths before they're in college and in debt and not knowing what they're doing. And I don't know. Yeah. There's all sorts of, um, I don't know. I just, I do wish that that was more of the focus of like high school and college of like preparing. Agreed. Agreed. And honestly, as early as high school. So I have another great idea, free ideas for someone who wants to do them. Um, I think that there should be something like, it doesn't have to be this, this vernacular, this this wording, this nomenclature, but I feel like there should be something that's like called like career builder for like teens. I mean, cause career builder is obviously a website, like career builder for like teens or like young adults or like whatever. I don't want to say teens and then it's like young adults can do it, but it's almost like they're like a boys and girls club situation that goes. So it's not, it's like on after school hours or weekends or whatever, where you go on trips, you go on little field trips, you go on tours to see like a day in the life of all the different jobs that are in a particular company or industry, because like, I mean, obviously we're talking about art here, but like, there's just so many things, like whether it's water sanitation, I just, because my my uncle worked as like some sort of water sanitation. So I actually got a tour once of water. San- I think that's interesting. So, uh, renewable energy is interesting. Um, I think it's interesting to work in a restaurant to how a grocery store operates. I think it's interesting that, oh, back to art, uh, that ceramics can be a job. 
Yeah. I would never, I actually took ceramics in high school, but I would never would have thought it could be a job where you work in a studio or you work under someone and you could eventually have your stuff at Target. It's just like, these are not train of thoughts that I think everybody just has unless they come from a certain background. Yeah. And one of my colleagues, her husband is a professional glassblower who works for a lighting company and you can buy sconces and like, it's like high end design and he's like actually making this stuff by hand. And it's so, I don't know, it's really inspiring and really, it like makes me a little sad that like I don't do more. Not a glass blow, but you could one day. And that's why I'll get to later. Like, it's like, there's, it's never too late to career pivot, you know? Like, so you could be a glass blower in your 90s if you want. But I think the, yeah, so I think the main thing is just the exposure to the opportunities Mm -hmm. um, and learning about them at a younger age. So you can envision what that might be like for you and if that's something you want to try. And I think like we are all at a position right now where we're kind of doing that, like envisioning these things of like, I've never had the opportunity to really sit back and think about what it may be like for us to do this. And now we get to do that and, I think I agree. I agree. I agree. Isn't that so weird? I mean, I think we always kind of played with the idea when we were in college of like doing our little art projects together, whether it was for school or not. But like to be able to do this, it's almost like, um, yeah, it is kind of like that sort of dream can come true of pivoting like that. I'm going to do something that I want to do. And it just feels a little midlifey right now for me, but I don't have a problem with that. It's just that we can afford to do that now because we have the time to, and we have the equipment, stuff like that, you know? like I think it comes down to also, like, we have the knowledge, you know, we have the confidence, we have um, just, well, maybe more the life experience, right? Like, whereas talking about these ideas when we were in, straight out of college in college um felt like you know big idealistic but with zero grounding and zero understanding of how it's done or how the steps are taken whereas after being in these fields for so long and watching other people do different variations of this or versions especially post-pandemic when we've seen all these people build these new businesses and pivot and this and that it feels like the steps are a lot more feasible we understand them a little bit more um, and it feels a lot more grounded. So I think it came down to two, like just us maturing and gathering that experience. Um, and I think also the perfect climate of the way everything has shifted since COVID, you know? Yeah. 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 It's so, it's so crazy how the world has changed after COVID. Howdy. I really want some Chinese food for some <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you didn't eat yet, right? I had my fruit cup. <laughs> fruit cup. You know, today has I've really been thrown off today because I set my alarm for like eight, and then when my alarm went off, I was like so dead because I stayed up way too late last night. So I was like snooze, 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 and then by the time I got myself like up, my coffee made and like starting to work, it was like almost eleven o'clock, and I was like. So then I waited until like two something to eat lunch. And then I had like a snack before we did this. And now I'm like, I probably should have ate something. Yeah. I had like a little bit to eat, but like, I kind of was like a mess about it. I'm just like so hungry now. Um, So anyway, so back to pivoting. Um, That was a nice pivot. Um, is Is pivoting like healthy and normal and ideal? Um, 
Well, I would say as creatives, it seems like we have ambitions to work in many different aspects of life, wearing many hats, juggling the arts and communications as an interdisciplinary endeavor. It almost seems like totally natural for us to want to explore other realms within and outside of solely the creative world of design and fine arts. So uh, some employers even encourage employees to have an outside life and take on side projects within their company that are more attuned to their interest, of course, without it interfering with their main line of work and projects. But places like Google are known for the 20% rule in which I quote the founders, Sergey and Larry here saying, we encourage our employees in addition to their regular projects to spend 20% of their time working on what they think will most benefit Google. So in a sense, what they work on, like in their own interest, it will end up somehow benefiting their employer. I mean, that could happen for any of us. So just like in our own lives, um, for our employers as well, there is a possibility that a bit of meandering from the straight and narrow could benefit us all, even if it's just bringing better clarity to a current project or appreciate what you have going on. Like I wanna go back to being a graphic designer <laughs> after being a store associate for a while. But um, what you have going on, maybe just finding another way to deal with what you've got while doing something that you love, which should improve your overall happiness. So where maybe you don't quit your day job to be a music artist, you can still do club performances, record music, post stuff on YouTube and TikTok, while maybe finding a way to give 90% at work instead of if you're giving 100%, 100%, um, if that's too much for you to handle. Or find a similar job to one that you have with a change in pace so that you could do more of that side labor of love. Yes. <laughs> yes. Agreed. Yeah, um, I think um, I think taking advantage of your employer's willingness to support learning a new skill for the purpose of like helping out on a project that they may not have enough staff to do. Or if it's a new request from a client, that is something that the company hasn't done before, but the client's willing to work with you on it because they really love working with you, I think is one of the best ways to learn a new skill. So uh, that's kind of how I got into motion graphics was I was literally going to bring that up. Like, I feel like if I had the time to work on video a little bit more, like instead of just like hitting the ground running all the time, I think that that could be something that would benefit any employer of mine because yeah. like, I'll just be a better designer that could do video and motion graphics for any opportunity. It seems like everybody wants that under your belt when you're applying to jobs, like to do video and animation. So yeah. And it, and then it became a new service that the company could offer too. So like while I wasn't maybe the most efficient person for the company is beneficial because they didn't have to hire a new person. Um, I was dedicated to learning and like perfecting the skill and also the clients, it was client retention, right? So we were keeping the clients, um, they weren't going to look for another uh, agency or a third party to like make something to bring back to us to utilize. It was just like, it was like a triangle of benefit. I don't know. Yeah, totally. 
Because, it, I mean, it's something that it could be pretty lucrative if you have, like, a reputable service that you kind of offer. Um, so is it ever too late to pivot? Um, <laughs> no, um, even at 37, like me, you have successes and wisdom that has carried you this far and you can use it to keep moving forward. And if you, <laughs> and if you were like 60 or 80 or 90, why should you, why should pivoting or something new be impossible? If anything, what do you have to lose? It should be novel, if anything, for you to be 90 and finally deciding to do something that you're interested in, like being an augmented reality designer or an architect, but it's possible. And no one will have the same unique perspective and personality that you'll bring to the table. Um, yeah, I think that any point along the journey, you should be able to, not even just be able to be willing to pivot, be willing to try different things. I don't think you're ever too old for it. Um, I personally come from a background that like, I get most of my enjoyment from the idea that I always want to grow. I always want to learn. I always want to change. So even into like my old age, I want to be, you know, trying new things, having different passion projects. Um, I think we gain fulfillment by always growing and never getting too stagnant. Um, and I do think that the working world in general is leaning itself more towards like we're talking about these pivots changing, whereas things are more structured in the past. Um, and, you know, there's is while there is ageism in the workplace and that's a whole other topic, there yeah. is a wisdom that comes from being older and it makes those transitions and changes that much better um, because what, you know, accumulates over time. You understand how to read, um, you know, an economy better at the time or how to maybe guess trends that are coming or ride a wave of a shift and use that to your benefit. So I think, you know, your age doesn't really matter, you know whether it's be going back to school or, you know, maybe you want to be like 60 and getting your doctorate. Like, what do you have to lose at that point? You know, I think boredom and sticking with something that's not making you happy is the worst thing you can do, you know? And I think that is why we're seeing more people pivoting as all this is going along is, you know, the tried and true way of doing things in the past and doing it because we had to or felt pressured. Like, it's not enough for people anymore. Most people are in a mental health crisis and that's because they're pretty unhappy and they haven't stopped and like, ask themselves what they want and take a hard look at some of the things going on, you know? And I think, I think the, um, I think the benefits are outweighing like they no longer outweigh the benefit of leaving to a new job. Right. So like our parents and grandparents were potentially in jobs that they were on track for pension. Right. So there was incentive for them to stay with their job, to grow within their company and to just stick it out until they retired. Whereas like now, like you're lucky if you get healthcare, you know, so there is, there's no incentive um, for people to stay within a job. If they're, they're not happy doing it, if it's not fulfilling them, if there's no room for growth, I mean, I feel like that's also a, a sticking point for people, right? Like maybe they're really happy in their job. They love their company, but they've been doing the same thing for five years and they're like, okay, like what's next? Can, where can I go from here? And they're like, sorry, like there's nowhere else for you to go except right where you are. And so I think the reasons people look to either leave a job or to pivot or to find a new industry to grow within you know, there's so many different reasons now. And 
Um, we're always kind of looking, we're looking for something, but I think it's just new experiences mainly. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And doing the things that I think you want to be doing to some, not to sound like a brat, but like maybe yeah. you were like if you can you choose, why not? Yeah, maybe before you were doing what you're good at, but now, like later in your life, and you've saved some money, maybe you know stuff like that. You want to do something that you love to do, not something that you're just good at, you know. So I want to explore that, or maybe something that's just going to make you a lot of money, and you think you're going to be good at that too. But yeah, what are your life goals, right? Like, and that probably helps because think of like okay. I want to buy a house, right? So like I need to make X amount of money to get this sort of house in this many years. Well, then you need to pick a career that's going to give you that or else you're going to be working four jobs. Yeah. So, And like, I think a, a place that I'm at right now, as far as like money is concerned, not that I never wanted money, like money's great to some extent. Like, I mean, we created money, money's man-made, et cetera. Um, so I know it doesn't like control all things kind of thing. But, like, I've come to a place where it's, like, I don't have this hate relationship with money because, like, I'm old enough to be, like, well, old enough, wise enough-ish to be, like, well, when you have money, you're able to help other people who don't have it or who need it most or do the things that you really want to do that might benefit other people. So, like, you need that money. So, like... If you understand what your needs are, you know, then you could determine like what kind of career might be best for you as well, you know, and yeah. that can help you with your pivot. Actually, I think I touch on that um, in a little bit. Um, so how to pivot successfully. Online courses, going back to school, academic career advisors, um, staffing agencies and agents, Hobby turned careers, preparing your finances, living within and below your means, preparing yourself for that transition. Here are some tips from my research and a few helpful YouTubes we'll give you the links to. A. Keep a job while you find a new job or begin figuring out what that new career is going to be. And if you've already left that job, then get another one that you could bear to deal with while you figure out what you really want to be doing. It's much harder otherwise, and it can really have a serious impact on your mental health and finances to be doing otherwise. B, if you still do have that job before going off into the unknown, try to save up six to 12 months at least to have your back, pay bills, eat, rent, insurance, etc. For some people, it could be more, and the more you save, the better. So why not 18 months to two years if you can? C, that being said, seriously consider what your wants and needs are, which will not only help you prioritize what is a necessity and what can be put off to some other time, but also helps you align with where you want to be. D, ask yourself, what jobs align with my passions and interests? E, furthermore, for peace of mind, ask yourself, what companies resonate with my values, lifestyle, and other skills? F, and lastly, 
Always try to network. Connecting with people in real life and online like LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, etc. could really bring about opportunities you wouldn't expect. It could be really awkward and daunting at first, but you'll get the hang of it. And isn't that what we're all doing in a sense, just trying to get to know each other and help each other out? So don't think of it as people using each other to get where they want to be. Many people are thrilled to help each other out and more related to be the ones that claim that they were the ones that referred you to that new role that you're going to crush. So get out there, do what you love and crush it. Claim your role. is the Balenciaga holiday bad decision marketing campaign. Um, All right, so a little bit of background is, well, first I'll start with my resources. So I read a couple articles. One was from The Cut. Um, The other one was from The Independent. Um, And both of them were written in December, so pretty recent to like right after everything happened. It was like within the same week. Um, So basically what's happening is in November, Balenciaga launched a controversial um, holiday campaign and the campaign featured children holding teddy bears dressed in their, in um, what some claim was BDSM accessories. And so the accessories were actually featured on the runway that Balenciaga had at the, Paris Fashion Week. Um, And so once this was brought to light, it was like the photo shoot was part of a bigger gifting photo shoot for the holidays. And then, of course, the internet like blew up when somebody pointed out that like there are kids in these photos with BDSM accessories on the teddy bear bags that they're holding. So there was like this whole outcry, even a hashtag that got created and it was like hashtag cancel Balenciaga, which was trending, of course, across Twitter, TikTok. And then many started accusing the brand and its creative director of condoning pedophilia and child exploitation. So, all right. So Um, it's like... I feel like this might be a good time to just ask you something. Yeah. Um, Not that I want to see the images, but can I see the images? For sure. Let me pull one up. Let's see if I can... uh, I don't know the best way to, well, I guess I can show you the, uh, there we go. Can you see this? Yeah. Okay. So this is the article from the cut. Um, so here are a couple images that are being called into question. So these are actually bags. They're not just teddy bears. Um, but you know, this was kind of what everybody was all up in arms about. I mean, they look like, not the kids. They, I mean, the kids are fine. They look like like the um, <clears throat> the the actual accessories themselves. They look kind of cool, like punk or whatever. I'm I'm not trying to like give any life to Balenciaga, but it's just like why can you guys do this with like young adults or something, like college students, college students. That's legal. Like okay. you know, so definitely, um, you know, some bad decisions on casting for those photo shoots. Yeah, strange. Um, you know, so 
within the articles, there was a lot of what people are saying and, you know, Twitter is our greatest resource for what people have on their mind. Um, so <laughs> one user said that there's no acceptable reason to be exposing children to BDSM. Another person said, um, the, uh, let's see, anybody wearing Balenciaga from this point onward is endorsing child pornography and should be canceled. Um, and then it said, I can't believe Balenciaga just who signed off like question mark, question mark, question mark, you know, whose idea was even because they need to be in jail Yeah, Um, and that it's concerning and horrifying. So I think all of these reactions are pretty, I mean, some people may think they're pretty extreme, but I think when you see these, you're like, what the fuck? And these people (laughs) really able to like kind of put their thoughts into words. (sighs) Um, right. So that it like goes on to say that people who are associated with the brand and even, even loosely associated with the brand. And Lisa and I were just talking about this of like being called out for not saying stuff about controversial things that are happening. But so like Kim Kardashian is associated with the brand and she's she's, like a spokesperson or something. Yeah. And she's just like worked with the brand for a while and, she responded with a few statements. Her first one was kind of like, I'm acknowledging that this is happening, but I don't want to put out a statement until like I talk. To I think she literally said those words, which is like, so like cold. It's like, what? Like I acknowledge that this is happening. What are you, a robot? Like, yeah. Who says so that? Like, it was like, emotions? she wanted to see what the brand had to say for themselves basically. And, um, yeah, you know, and so then she just had stated that she's reevaluating her relationship with them, but believes that they understand the seriousness and are taking measures to make sure that nothing like this happens in the future or again. Um, and then, you know, her sister, um, Kylie, got kind of like wrapped up to it, wrapped into it and in like a weird way. So she started posting pictures of her kids on social media who like, rarely make appearances in any photos and people were calling her out and being like you're you're trying to distract from the fact that this is going on by showing picture people of your kids so they pay attention to you and not to what's happening and she was just kind of like what the fuck this is why i don't show pictures of my kids like well were the kids wearing balenciaga she just no no uh, they were just i thought thought you're going at it first yeah 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 yeah, yeah. like pictures of her kids and so, and oh, she's okay. not even related. I remember that now. Do you remember that? You remember? Yeah, that? this did happen. I remember oh, hearing wow. about this. Yeah. So. Oh wow. So then there's that. And I mean, then, you can't put it past the Jenners, to be honest, but whatever. <laughs> I mean, who knows? You can. I also- feel a little bit in the case of um, with them because they're so heavily affiliated, and they like are basically the spokespeople for it. Um, and I wasn't Kanye like really affiliated yeah. with them too. Kanye was too. Yeah, I feel like they do have, in that case, I feel like they have an obligation to say something. Now, if you want to get your facts together or you do, sure, absolutely. But, you know, not in that case, I do feel like not saying something is kind of like, you know, you care more about the money or you're not, you know, you don't care about the issue. Or um, I do think that when you are in uh, the face of a, of a company like that, you, you your political view should at least align together or, you know, be able to back that up. And Kanye did say something to the effect of like, 
oh, they're trying to take down my brand too, blah, blah, blah. You know, like in his roundabout way of saying things about himself, but also like responding to whatever question <laughs> is being asked. Like so it wasn't even about like the scandal itself. It was more about like, they trying to do this to us. They're trying to take us down. They're trying to like, are you kidding me? Like It's like you're missing the point, sir. This is, like, totally missing the point. I'm sure he gets the point, but like the way he reacts to to this it was kind of like you're like I mean it's almost like you have to say to him what if those were your toddlers yeah like your kids with this BDSM right not like yeah not the bigger picture of like trying to bring a brand down or trying to bring a celebrity down but just like the simple fact that this is what the outrage is about I think he was saying, though, that it was that Balenciaga was doing this on purpose to help bring him down, not that, like, people are trying to bring him down. Oh, like, his, so I might be remembering wrong, and Tracy, correct me, but he's on this whole thing about how it's Hollywood and society and the media, yeah. like, puts, puts these people up on a pedestal and then purposely tries to knock them down. And that was his whole, like, when he was doing his circuit, on you know, interviews at the time, like, all of that was on that focus of, like, you know, people, companies trying to bring him down and people in power trying to bring him down is when he's making all those really controversial um, statements on the Jewish community and Jewish leaders and fashion and things like that. Um, So that would be like, I think for him, it would fall in line with that whole like, well, they control everything. So here's another case of them being in power and taking me down. I think that I think that's how he meant it. If I remember. So I'll have to follow. I'll take your word for it because you stay in profession. So I'm pretty sure you're right. Yeah, we'll do a little follow-up um, and post some updates up. about decisions <laughs> I may or may Honestly, not I do kind of have interpreted correctly. Thing. I definitely am interested in the follow-up to this Balenciaga. Because, like, I still saw... If Wait, is are the Yeezys, those foam runners, those are Adidas, right? Yeah, yeah. so yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Adidas yeah. is also associated with Balenciaga. And that was the... Oh, oh they are? Yeah, that I was didn't know that. I didn't know that either. So remember, that, basically, what I'm wearing. saying is, I still see people wearing them, and oh, I'm just yeah. like, "Why are you wearing them?" <laughs> like, but whatever. Because I paid a thousand dollars for them. Um, but so okay, so a little tangent. But there was another photo that was kind of out and about at the same time this was happening, and that mm-hmm. was the Adidas bag photo shoot for 2023, and that was the one where it was on top of. Um, what looked to be Mm -hmm. like court legal documents that had to do with the protect act. And um, that kind of controversy is swept up into this one as well. And people are trying to link it. And so um, I did do a little bit of research on that one too. And basically, I don't, yeah, I thought, I thought that was Balenciaga. I didn't realize that was Adidas. Yeah. Let's see. Yes, I do have photos of that one. Yes. So let I me show you a photo of that one. It's not the best. No, whatever. I think I saw it once on television. And honestly, when the story popped up, I was like, I can't handle this. I'm not watching this. Like, <laughs> it's not like it came up in the news like two or three times before I was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. And then all of a sudden, you know, uh, Dawn, my best friend, I'm going to bleep her name out. Um, she like was telling me about it. Oh, this is cute. Um, but this is Balenciaga. I can't say that. Well, no, it's, 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 it's three stripes. It's a three stripes. It's probably a collaboration. It but was Balenciaga. It was a collaboration, you said? Okay, so it still was Balenciaga, though, but it's yeah. Balenciaga with Adidas. Okay. 
so that's the Adidas or some Adidas. So the whole thing about this, a secondary controversy that's happening on the side was that the papers that are, there's like documents that this bag is sitting on top of. Um, and people were like, those look like Supreme Court documents that have to do with the Protect Act, which was a federal law that increased penalties for sexual exploitation and child abuse. And Balenciaga is actually suing the production company for $25 million in um, damages for all of the harm of the false association with this photo and photo shoot. And um, it's just like, why did they do that? So, so, so it's like this, it's a big shit show, right? So they hired these oh, third party okay. production companies. The company is um, in charge of building and setting the sets, getting the props, all sorts of stuff. And the company basically told them that like everything that's going to be in the set is fake. Like all the papers, they're just like prop documents. Well, come to find out like these are real legal Supreme Court documents that do are, yeah. like talk that about exactly what people were saying they talk about. So insane. And so Balenciaga is not taking responsibility for this one. They're blaming the production company, but they are saying that they should have done a better job of vetting the props included in the photo, but also just the approval process of the photos for the photo shoot in general. And I think that is like the overall sentiment of both of these controversies is that they're basically like, we need to do a better job checking our, our stuff before it goes out and like really scrutinizing it because like they're getting, they're really getting whomped over this one and people are just not letting it go. Like they are even, even the news outlets are picking it up. So um, Tucker Carlson's show, they had somebody on there talking about it and basically you know, using it as like a platform to speak out against like trans rights. And so this, um, this what? guest Candace, <laughs> Owens, no, I know what? it's like, it's really wild, right. It's like, how do you like connect this what? to this? Like, where does the line get drawn? It doesn't make any sense, but, um, Candace Owen said on the Carlson show stating that this photo shoot of the kids, he was talking about the one with the kids is normalizing pedophilia and child porn. And it's a direct result of the transgender rights movement in the U S. What? Well, I mean, that's not a surprising statement from her at all. That is a very typical (laughs) Candace Owen statement. That type of statement and her is going to be on his show. And I'm, even though that link is ridiculous and so false, it does not surprise me that he would use this as an opportunity for that agenda of theirs, which is a giant agenda of that network. And, and which drives me insane. Like, every step of the way they're trying they talk about other people and things brainwashing stuff and every chance they can they repeat that narrative on that network over and over and over again to the point where their audience is just like regurgitating the stuff but can't even really explain what any of this means to you they just keep spitting out these talking points all the time which that's a whole other topic of itself i mean like what does transgenderism have to do with bdsm even i mean obviously there's the child aspect or whatever but i mean just like Right, let's, let's look at those photos one more time just, <laughs> oh, just to give our brain a little, let's see. let me yeah. see if I can bring it back up where are you at oh, 
But yeah, you saw how the bag looked sort of sporty, right? Like it had the three stripes yeah. on it. Yeah. yeah. Totally, it's uh, a cute little collabo, but unfortunately we can't celebrate it. That sucks. <laughs> can't enjoy anything. Yeah. So, I mean. They also look kind of sad. Like they're like. Uh, or scared. <laughs> the yeah, one on like the left scared. in the purple looks scared. Yeah. And the one they, on the right looks scared. Yeah. He looks like scared or I mean, sad like but look yes. at the so are those easy those are those are just the balenciaga like signature sneaker that everybody was wearing about 10-ish years ago for like a second oh. they still are probably wearing them they have like really exaggerated soles mm-hmm. they're really weird they look cool i mean but you have to say like fuck balenciaga now so it's like fuck balenciaga right so like at the end of the day, you know, coming from a perspective of somebody and like all of us, right, in the in the art world and dealing with photo shoots, we lose our job over that. <laughs> like, I we feel totally like. lose our job over that. But like, that's pretty ballsy of those creative directors and art directors to even like push that idea forward and not think that there was going to be any backlash. So, is it just like? let's stir up some shit and see what happens. But I mean, there has to be accountability for things that are blatantly like that wrong. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. I can't wait to hear what people think. I wish we could have our reactions to it, but I'll just try to include it next time or whatever. I'll get some, some feedback from my friends and my fam. And maybe you guys too, if you can, we could just like give them the highlights of the story and show them the pictures and they'll be like, what the fuck is this? Like, it'd be great. Right. That was kind of how I felt like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would love to hear some interesting perspectives on it that I'm not thinking of. Like, cause I, I, there was a point where I was like trying to not not, like justify it, but trying to understand like why they did this or like, like have empathy for the creative teams behind it of like how it could have gotten to where it ended up. Like there was a point where like, okay, so just now, so I'm just going to be like real with you, like 1000. Um, I was just looking at it and I, and I thought this sounds really weird, but it's also because of the news that I'm hearing. I thought child trafficking, and yeah. then I also, I think what I was thinking like weeks ago or months ago when the story hit, whenever it was like that, maybe it's kind of like how we, like some people, not we, but some people use not only kids, but kids and pets as like accessories. And like, it almost seems like, like a harness, like when you're wearing the baby harness to like, hold oh, yeah. Them. You know, like, I don't know, like, I just, or the I, little I, leashes. Yeah, or the leashes. Yeah, I know, right? The leashes that you see, like, that's kind of a newish thing, but like, yeah, with the parents with their their kids on the, I, maybe. Well, there is that overlap, thing. right? Like, yeah. those are child accessories, right? Like, the leashes, the harness for a child used in like an actual parenting mode. But then th- those, it's not that they resemble BDSM items, those, those are definitive BD, whether that's the function of them in this or not. You know the um, the harnesses and um, what else? what was the other the thing? Leash, you said? The, the leashes. Leashes, yeah. Those are both like core 
BDS items you usually see. You know, and the fact that um, in this past season or a couple of seasons of fashion, BDSM is like an active part of fashion. Yeah, now, right. Yeah. Like they do. Like Megan the Stallion has this choker with like a thing on it. It looks like a BDS. Yeah. And leather harnesses are popularized yeah. by yeah. everyone now, oh, where yeah. they're just like they go over a white shirt and everything. Where four years ago you would never see that unless you were in that world. So I mean, like there, I definitely think those were meant to be BDSM items. You know, um, or even if they're not like used in the like the function of that person's life, this fictional person in the story, you know, they are, it's fashion, it's used in a fashion sense. Um, but so it's yeah. still linked and representative of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Why the kids? I just don't understand the kids part. I I think I may have Obvious. mentioned this in another conversation, but like the juxtaposition of like the innocence of the kids and then this like teddy bear and then the accessories on it are like, really extreme so i see it as like this trying to be so creative in the juxtaposition of the content of the photos but again like i can picture that in an art crit crit like one of our i was literally just thinking about that can you imagine that would take away the fact that his the connotation of sexualizing children yes i get in that sense what it's doing there right those those two juxtapositions and like one extreme to the other it it highlights things more, grabs your attention more. I get that. Like, I get what they could have been going for there. But I also of the sense that, like, I still think they knew exactly what I personally think they knew what they were doing. Like and the fact 100%. that they're this huge fashion company, um, you know, promoting these photos all over the place to everybody. It's bad. Really weird. So, uh, well, we're out of time. So we're going to wrap this conversation up. We can take it offline. <laughs> perfect and then we'll come back for more and then we'll come back for more yay see ya freedom 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 over fame Freedom over fame, the cycle stays the same. Thanks for listening to our first episode of Art Kids. Please tune in next time for more art news, happenings, creative check-ins, and us, Tracy, Reese, and me, Lisa, and expiring fruit cups. Till then, have a good one, y'all.